shot number one. She said, why don't you listen to the similarities instead of the dissimilarities? I didn't even know I was doing that. Came back the next day to the AA meeting and I heard a street thug say, I can act my way into good thinking, but not think my way into good actions. And I always thought it was the other way around. And this same woman came up to me and she said, you don't look happy, joyous and free. And I said, I'm not. And she said, you need a fourth step sponsor. I'd never heard of that. I heard of a step sponsor. I heard of a fourth, you know, a food sponsor. And I looked at her as arrogantly as I could. And I said, there is no one in OA that has what I want. That didn't seem to bother her. She looked at me, Godshot number two, and said, who frightens you the most in this room? Now, remember, I'm in the AA room. And I said, that street thug over there named Captain Serenity. She said, I think he's a pussycat. Go ask him to be your sponsor. I said, you have a death wish. I am this nebbish, this backless kind of guy, and I'm going to go act, you know, see this street guy that I dealt with, you know, as a kid. She says, yeah. So I called him on the phone and I said, Captain, I'd like to ask you to be my sponsor. He said, are you an alcoholic? And I went, no, he was so loving. And he said, what are you? I said, I'm a compulsive overeater. He said, oh, I don't sponsor them. They're sick. And I looked, I, I said to him, you know, Tom, I will do anything you tell me to do. He said, good. Call me for 30 days. And if you miss a day, I'll kill you. Now, my higher power knew I needed that kind of sponsor at that time. This man took me through the 12 steps. He said to me, there is no right or wrong way to work the steps, except maybe not to work them. And he literally, slowly taught me how to change my life utilizing the steps. Now, this is very interesting. Years later, I was asked to speak at the candlelight meeting, which is a Saturday afternoon meeting in West LA. And a young guy came up to me, maybe 18, 19, I'm not sure. And he said to me, I'm not in your program. I'm in another 12-step program, but my uncle is in this program. And he said, do you want to come to the meeting? And he said, I'm not going to identify with your share. I've never eaten frozen cheesecakes. I never ate out of the garbage. And I said, can I share something? And he said, yes. I said, I wonder what would happen if you listen to the feelings behind my words, not my words. And then I went up and I spoke for an hour. Afterwards, the young man came up to me and he said, thank you so much. I could not identify with your eating career but boy, could I identify 100% with your feelings because my sponsor reminded me we all have the same feelings. So I, um, uh, my, my sponsor slowly taught me how to stop running away from myself. 
and I didn't realize that I was such a self-centered person. The big book says this, but I, I kept thinking I'm such a giving, loving, caring person. Yes, but there's always a hook. You owe me. You have to be my friend because I did something. And program says, I do things for others for fun and for free, expecting nothing in return. That has been difficult for me, but it's been very, very rewarding. Um, let's see, I'm looking at some notes. Uh, he, he said to me, there is nothing wrong with judging people. Just don't tell them. That helped me tremendously. The guilt that I felt of judging and judging. And he was, he was so loving. He says to me, everybody judges. Just don't tell them. So that, that to me was, was very, very helpful. The other thing he pointed out to me is, we are not bad people trying to be good. We are sick people trying to get better. He told me that I'm only responsible for making a little effort toward my recovery a day at a time. So six years ago, I learned about, and I'm not good at exercising at all. This is a four letter word for me. But six years ago, I read about some exercise called planking. And this is where you get down in a push-up position and you just hold it. And the first day I did five seconds. And my sponsor said, that's wonderful. Do five seconds again tomorrow. And so I did five seconds. And then a couple days later or a week later, I did six seconds. And then sometime I did seven seconds. And now I can do two minutes twice a day. But if it wasn't for the beauty of my sponsor saying to me, I'm only responsible for making a little effort today. Some effort is better than no effort at all. That's not what I was taught. My dad said to me in a loving way, if you can't do it right, don't do it at all. And I used to give up. I would start something and it would get difficult and I would give up. And now my sponsor is saying, maybe a lot of what you learned as a child maybe doesn't work for you as an adult. And so my sponsor helped me because he said to me, Ron, I'm not a historian. I don't wanna hear what you did. I wanna hear what you're going to do so that if I have any experience, strength and hope, I can share it with you. So maybe you can have an alternative that you never thought of. And I've shared this before, Sheila has heard this. One of the most difficult things for me is listening. And listening is integral to being a sponsor. Years ago, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, food sponsors, sponsees. And uh, all of a sudden, 
God cut them off and I had no one for 30 some odd years. And once in a while, a, uh, a sponsee would come back uh, to program and say, I owe you an amends. And I said, for what? Well, I phoned in my food, but I never ate what I phoned in. And I said, I knew that. And they said, well, why didn't you call me on it? And I said, because I'm not the food police. You have a right to fool yourself if you want. I am only responsible for what I eat and the amount that I eat. If you want to play with your games, yeah, I mean, if you want to play with your food, I don't have a right to get in your way because maybe that'll help you hit a bottom. And slowly through program, through working with my sponsor and asking God through the steps to help me to change my old attitudes and beliefs because I, uh, God said to me, uh, until you learn this important lesson about listening, I'm not sending you anybody. And after about 36 years of abstinence, in, and I do a 10-step every day, whether I like it or not, and I've learned to tell everything to God. God doesn't judge me. God only wants good things for me. I used to believe that God was punishing. He was like a parent that, you know, rewarded you if you were good and punished you if you were bad. I learned through the steps that that doesn't work for me and that I needed to find a different higher power that loved me unconditionally, especially when I was eating compulsively. That was very difficult for me because I didn't love myself and he's telling me, and God did. So there is nothing I can do to not get love, God's love. I can move away from God because that's my choice, but God doesn't move. And um, so I, uh, I, uh, I, I worked more and more with my sponsor. And as I started being willing to look at this concept of listening, what I was doing uh, years ago when I was working with, with uh, sponsees is I was trying to rescue them and fix them and take away their feelings and make all better. And I learned in program that that for me is playing God. It is not my job to fix anybody. The people that I sponsor today, I don't fix them. I can make suggestions and they can follow it or not follow it. It is none of my business. And one of the lessons that I learned about listening is that sometimes people just need to be listened to. They don't need for me to say, oh, here, let me fix it for you and say, why don't you read this? Or why don't you do this? Or why don't you do this that the big book says? Because that's not listening for me. 
because when I'm thinking, how can I respond? That's not listening for me. So I had to learn, and I don't do this a lot with my sponsees. Sometimes when I get a sense that I need, they need me to listen, I'll listen as much. But as a sponsor, my job after I listen is to help them look at things differently. But when I get outreach calls, I make an effort and thank God I don't have to do it perfectly. This is not a program of being perfect. I always tell people if God wanted me to put it, be perfect, he wouldn't have put erasers on the end of pencils. I make mistakes all the time. But when people call me for outreach calls and they're in pain, they need to be listened to respectfully and not for me to jump in and say, well, the big book says, that's not listening. And people are not broken. That was a hard lesson for me. People are not broken. We just need to be loved. In program, we used to say, let us love you until you can love yourself. I had no idea what love meant because of the dysfunction of my family, it meant that I had to allow you to abuse me. And I learned in program, love has nothing to do with that. And um, this program has been an absolute gift. I remember uh, my sponsor said to me, we need to stop building cases against ourselves to prove how bad we are. We're not bad. We have a disease. And if somebody had cancer, you wouldn't pull that on them. He says, you would never allow anybody to treat you as badly as you treat yourself. And that was so true. So he said, what are the two most important words in the English language? And I said, I don't know. He said, the two most important words in the English language are, so what? Give yourself a break. In program years ago, we used to say, how important is it? I don't hear so much now, but I used to hear that a number of years ago. Give myself a break. You know, when, when I was asked to do this, I went into panic. Oh my God the responsibility of being the first speaker and I need to set the tone. And I did a 10th step and what came out was I was playing God. I am not better or worse than anybody else in program. I have a story and hopefully my story can be of value to someone else, but my story is mine. My recovery is mine and I can share it, but Bob, it is Bob, not my responsibility. Yeah, five, five minutes? minutes left. Ray, thank you. It is not my responsibility to put pressure on myself to say, because when I did my 10th step, what, my, what came out was, I want to impress everyone. I want people to think, oh my God, this guy is the most greatest speaker I've ever heard. 
And you know something? It's none of my business. My sponsor taught me there's my business, there's your business, and there's none of my business. And most things in my life are none of my business. And it's very freeing. I remember I was going to my family and I have a hard time uh, uh, dealing with working program with my family. And I called Tom and I said, I'm going up there. And he says, well, on 128, it says, go with an attitude of what you can bring instead of what you can get. He said, do something for someone else and not get found out. So I went up there and I cleaned my sister's bathroom anonymously. And I said, but I, I'm, I don't know how to converse with people. And he said to me, ask your brother and your sisters one at a time. So how are you doing? What's going on? People love talking about themselves. And so instead of compulsively overeating, I went over to my brother and I said, sweetheart, what's happening? He gave me an earful. Do you know what your sisters are doing, blah, blah, blah. And I lovingly said, no, please tell me. And I let it go in one ear and out the other. And then I would go to a, one of my sisters and I'd say, sweetheart, what's happening? Do you know what your brother is doing? And I would say, no, please tell me. And it went in one ear and out the other. Never shared it with anybody but God and my sponsor. I found I needed to find a sponsor that I could tell anything to. And this person was not going to judge me. He was not going to shame me. He was not going to try to fix me. He was only going to try to love me. And Tom used to say to me, took me years to figure this out. Tom said to me, I love you. What business is it of yours? Took me years to figure that out. Love has nothing to do with the other person for me. I can choose to love someone whether they love me or not. And um, this program is absolutely a gift. Absolutely a gift. I remember I said to my sponsor, how long do I have to work the steps? And he said, until the steps work you. And the steps are almost automatic after 39 years. And what happens is, cause I'm not perfect and I hope never to be. I screw up and I get to do a 10th step. And I get to do a step six and seven and ask God to help me accept what I did or what I'm feeling and then ask God to remove it. Because on page 84, it says when resentments and whatever comes up, I don't have the book in front of me, we ask God to remove these immediately. But for me, I need to be honest with what I think, what I'm thinking, and more importantly, what I'm feeling, which is still very difficult for me. And so what? I get to continually grow 
and I am so grateful. This program is such a gift and I feel very privileged. I need one last thing to say. I want to thank AA for allowing OA to utilize this program. As you know, AA started in 1935. In 1953, Al-Anon started, Gamblers Anonymous in 1957, and OA in 1960. And it is such a gift because it has literally changed my life. Thank you. Perfect. Uh, thank you, Ron. Okay. Uh, your first question is, how would you define happy, joyous, and free, please? Uh, happy, joyous, and free. Happy is the absence of fear. Joyous is living in gratitude and free is free of the obsession. Thank you. Next question. What do you do when a sponsee doesn't want to follow directions? I bless them. Uh, I have sponsees and some of them don't follow what I suggest. I, I don't know about anybody here. I've been rejected far too many times throughout my life. It is not my job to reject a sponsee because they, they don't want to do something that I suggest. It's a suggestion. It's not a demand. And if they are not ready to make that effort, they have that right. And I have no right to punish them because I'm not God. It's not my job and God doesn't punish anyway. Thank you. Um, next question, what is your routine with your sponsor? I, well, my routine is I, the first thing I do when I, when I awaken, I say, thank you, God. I get up out of bed, I go to the bathroom, I get on the floor and I do my planking. I do also push-ups, which I hate, but I do them anyway. My sponsor said, you don't have to like what I tell you to do, just do it. So I don't have to think about it. So I do push-ups, I do sit-ups, I do something else that I can't remember. Uh, and then I do prayer and meditation. And I do readings from different books. And then I write out my 10th step. And I used to. Uh, I used to edit it before I sent it to my sponsor. And I was in a meeting one day and I heard someone say, I needed to find a sponsor that I could tell anything to. And I thought, what do I believe about my sponsor? Because it's not my original sponsor from AA. Unfortunately, he passed. But I have a different sponsor now. And I thought, what do I believe or trust my sponsor that I feel that I need to edit the things that I am embarrassed about? And I thought, if, 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 if that's the way I'm feeling, 
then maybe he's not the right sponsor. And I decided to test him and I sent him everything and he did not react. He just lovingly said, thank you for sharing. And from then on, I was able to write everything, including the things I'm ashamed of, I'm embarrassed of, or the things that, oh my God, I did that again? So what? Thank you. A fellow is asking, what do you do when you don't want to follow your sponsor's directions? Uh, I don't remember never following my sponsor's directions. I had the gift of desperation. I didn't know it at the time. And I was willing to go to any lengths to get better. I was skinny uh, because I'm 125 pounds. I'm not that today, thank God. And, um, uh, but I was willing to go to any lengths. Now my sponsor never said for me to do anything that embarrassed me or shamed me. All he wanted was to help me grow in my own way, not his way. So that's the only way I can answer that. Thank you. Ron, how do you handle your food with your sponsor? And what does he ask of his sponsees? Uh, I don't discuss food with my, my sponsor sponsor. I did years ago and uh, the obsession in 81, because I got abstinent in, in uh, 79 and I chose to break my abstinence, but I kept coming to meetings daily and I kept saying, when am I going to get abstinent again? And people lovingly said, keep coming back. And uh, uh, July 8, 1981, uh, I hit that bottom and the pain of eating became greater than, than not eating. The obsession was removed. Food has never been an issue. And that's not a lot of people's experiences. That was Bill Wilson's experience. It was not Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob's obsession almost never went away. Thank you. Ron, what is it that you ask of your sponsees? I ask my sponsees to tell on themselves. I want to hear the secrets that they keep in their mind because we are sick as we are secretive. When I keep a secret, no matter how minute, I'm in trouble. And I try to have, I try to make a, a safe environment that my sponsees can tell me anything. And I hope that, um, that, that I'm there for them uh, because I know how beneficial that has been for me. Ron, do you weigh and measure your food? Uh, I do not weigh and measure my food. And weirdly, as I've gotten older in program, my food automatically started getting less. 
and I had nothing to do with it. It was totally my higher power because I love food. But all of a sudden I found, eh, maybe I'll eat half a sandwich. That was unheard of years ago. And I, it, was, it was automatic and I was willing to follow it. And uh, what can I tell you? Thank you. When, when do you make your sponsors, do you make your sponsees start over if they eat a quote, bad food, end quote, whatever bad means? Uh, no, and the reason is we are our own worst enemies. I used to hear people in programs share, I ate an extra string bean, <laughs> I had to start all over. Now, they have that right. It's none of my business. But if somebody is asking me, uh, one of the biggest things that I learned in program is to listen for a question mark before I give my experience, strength, and hope. And most of the time, there's no question mark. But once in a while, there is. And uh, so uh, I had somebody who called me and and you know they felt they had they had broken their abstinence and whatever, and I I said, you know if if you keep starting over and over and over and over again, you might be just punishing yourself. Why not just accept you had a slip, move on. If it continues, then you can talk about it with you know with your sponsor, but. You know, sometimes I'll eat a little bit more than what I normally eat. Is that become progressive? It hasn't. Because I'm not beating myself over having an extra bite or an extra whatever. So what? This is a program of loving myself back to recovery, not lying to myself if I'm actually binging, but Sometimes uh, we have a tendency to be, we want to work this program perfectly, which for me doesn't exist. And it stands in the way of me growing in program. Thank you. Would you please define your concept of God and how it has changed? Well, God is a woman. No, I'm kidding. Um, my higher power, uh, as I said, I was raised that God punished you if you were bad and he rewarded you if you were good. And uh, my sponsor and I talked about it and he said, I wonder if that maybe doesn't work for you today. And I said, yeah. So he said, well, you know, the big book says you can create your own higher power. And I literally moved to the left because I thought a lightning bolt was going to come down and hit him. That's how, how, how uh, uh, dangerous I thought God was. And slowly, um, I started opening my mind, uh, the, the concept of how honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness, that I opened my mind to the concept of maybe allowing myself 
to look at God from a different perspective. My first higher power was from Star Trek. There was the original. There was a man that was on a planet and there was a mist that enveloped him and gave him everything he needed except companionship. And that was my first higher power. I had envisioned this mist holding me, protecting me, and loving me. And that was my higher power for a long time. And then slowly over the years, I began to, to give myself permission that maybe the God that I was raised with could be changed. And now today, I believe that God loves me unconditionally and only wants the best for me today. But that has taken 39 years. And there are days when I am not connected to God and I just have to make it okay. Because again, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but this is not a program of being perfect. This is a program of making tiny steps in recovery. Thank you. Ron, a fellow is asking, saying he has a sponsee who is also an alcoholic and wants to know, would it be wrong to advise him never to drink, even if it means eating binge foods? I honestly don't know how to answer that. Okay. Um, are there things you do or don't eat have you and have you ever let a sponsee go and why and how did you handle it? Uh, badly, I have to admit. Years ago, I had a sponsee and uh, she literally was not doing anything. And, and it became where I was just a sounding board for her complaining and complaining and complaining, no interest in recovery, no interest in abstinence. And I spoke to a guy and the guy said to me, do you have a need for her to call you? And I said, yes, I do. He said, you have to let her go. She has to find a different higher, a different sponsor. You are of no value to her. If you have a need for her to call, you have lost the ability to be an effective sponsor. And I called her and I explained to her that I would have to let her go. And she said, I don't understand that. And I said, trust me, I don't either. But, and that was the hardest thing and the, the only person that I've ever let go. Do you have a 10 step routine? I do have a 10 step routine. Um, there are all kinds of wonderful suggestions. AEIOU is wonderful. Right out of the big book on page 86, which is actually talking about step 11, but it's a wonderful, wonderful questionnaire. What I do is I say, dear God, thank you for yesterday. Thank you for my abstinence. 
and thank you for today. I am grateful for, and then I, I make a list. And then I write, help me, dear God, to be honest. And then I start writing and I'd write anything. I write about my day. If a feeling came up, I talk about it. My sponsor said, it's important when you're writing your 10th step after you've been in for a while to write down what the situation is, what program says to do about it, and what actions you've taken. He said, that's also not a bad idea to share at meetings. He said, meetings are not dumping grounds. A meeting is to share recovery, to share uh, uh, the things that have worked with us. In AA, they say, we carry the message, not the mess. And so if, if I have a situation and I wanna share it at a meeting, I don't just share about the issue and then drop it. I share a little bit about the situation, what program says to do about it, and what actions I've taken. And my sponsor shared with me, that is a way of sharing experience, strength, and hope. Thank you. There's a fellow who is saying, my eating is not a secret. I almost punish myself by doing the socially unaccepted eating behaviors in public, that this shame is their secret. How do I change my addiction to shaming myself for not being good enough for society? Well, one way would be to get a sponsor and be honest about it. So what? A sponsor through the steps helps us to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. There is a tremendous release in forgiving ourselves and also forgiving others. And um, that, that has been very helpful to me. Great. Um, you mentioned different dates for starting program and abstinence since. Can you explain how that happened? S say that again, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. The fellow's asking, what's the difference? You mentioned two different dates and they wanna know what's the difference between starting program versus you've had abstinence since that time. Oh, okay. So when I came into program in November 79, I got abstinence and, uh, and I had abstinence for six months or nine months. And then I chose to break my abstinence and I went back to compulsively overeating, but I kept going to meetings every day. And then uh, on July 8, 1981, the pain of eating became greater than not eating. I went to a meeting I went up to a guy and I said, I give up. And I've been abstinent ever since. Not perfectly, but I've been abstinent ever since. Thank you. Could you please describe your prayer and meditation practices in greater depth? 
prayer and meditation. I heard once prayer and medication, but <laughs> um, so what I do is uh, uh, a lovely guy in program shared with me a a self. I don't know what they call it, but it's a, a self-guided meditation and uh, uh, you know prayer is talking to God, meditating is listening to God. So what I do is I, I go through this relaxation, uh, 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 whatever you want to call it, um, and and I and I I relax. I just totally get relaxed, and um, I ask God to uh, to help me to uh, to be a better person today, to be loving to myself, whatever that means today, to be a value to another human being, and I get very quiet. I pay attention to my breathing and I, I just relax and I say, God, there are certain things that I was not happy with yesterday. Can you help me to accept whether I like them or not to accept that that's what I felt or, or thought and to please remove it. And I feel sometimes a little lift. And if I don't feel a little lift, it often means that's not the underlying cause. And I get to do more 10 steps on it. So um, that's, that's my, my prayer and meditation. And then I also do reading from uh, for today and uh, the big book. I study the big book, uh, and I do one other one other reading. Thank you. Do you continue to have sponsees check in with you after they have finished the steps? Is it forever? And how do you have time to take on new sponsees if you do? I ask my sponsees to call me every day. Uh, and, uh, and most of the time they do every day. Uh, I don't have time for new sponsees. Sometimes sponsees need more time. Uh, there's a wonderful guy and, and he, uh, he gives five minutes to each, to each sponsee. That doesn't work for me. Sometimes a sponsee needs 15 minutes. Sometimes they need more than that. I want to be able to be open to do that. And um, if I take on too many sponsees, I can't be of value at all. Thank you. And I think our last question will be, do you have any food groups you personally abstain from? I abstain from refined sugars and compulsively overeating. And that's, that's all I do. I have noticed uh, there was a, a wonderful, wonderful lady who told me years ago, the road will get narrower as you go 
further down recovery. I hated hearing that. I didn't want to give up one mouthful of, of some food. They're absent of food, but I don't want to give up. And I've noticed, and, and I've shared this earlier, that uh, as I've been in program longer and I've worked the steps longer and I've talked more to my sponsor and stuff like that, that my food has gotten less amount. I still don't eat ref refined sugars uh, and I, I don't compulsively overeat. And uh, this to me is a miracle because I had very little to do with it. I mean, I had a choice because we all have choices. I have a choice to go back eating the way I did, but today I choose not to. Thank you so much for your honesty and your wonderful share. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Sandy, I think we've got a few more questions. We've got another minute or two. We can, we can Great. do it. Great. Okay. Um, I don't see any more questions. I sent you so some. Maybe. Says, do I drive a Bugatti? No. <laughs> and the answer is no, I can't afford it. Sheila, the last question I see is 13. Sure, I'll tell you what, and Sandy, for some reason, then they're not coming through. So I'll just I'll just throw out here, um, Ron. Uh, somebody had written, "I feel hopeless. This hasn't worked for me for years. How do I know it can work for me?" I don't. I know it worked for me. Uh, I my belief is that I needed to hit a bottom to get to a point where I had the gift of desperation. And unfortunately, I don't know how to give that to anybody. It is absolutely a gift. We used to call it hitting bottom. And uh, I don't know how to, how, how to share somebody having that experience. Um, OA, as you all know, is not for everybody. It works for me and it works for a lot of people, but it's not for everyone. And even the big book says that. Uh, and uh, I, I sadly, I, I don't have a, a suggestion. Okay. <clears throat> All right, and I'll tell you, I, I, I think we have one more question, but just because this person said, I feel hopeless, this hasn't worked for me. I, I just wanna jump in and say, yes, it can work for you. So this is absolutely possible. And I'll send you my phone number, you and I can chat. I remember feeling hopeless. I slipped for years myself before I got absent 20 years ago. Uh, Ron, Thank you. But final question, Ron, somebody said, do you believe in miracles and what is the latest miracle that's happened in your life? I do. I think it's called Miracle Whip. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I, I do believe in miracles. Uh, the miracle that I have been abstinent for 39 and almost a half years, a day at a time, uh, the idea that, uh, that my changing my attitude, my belief system has changed through the steps and through my higher power 
the fact that I'm not as self-centered as I used to be. I'm still self-centered. You know, I could be an opera singer, me, 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 me. But my sponsor used to say to me, if you can think of someone else for five minutes out of the day, you're doing very well. And I love that because that I can do. And it's not impossible. And this program to me is not impossible, except being an intellect, I can, can uh, confuse this program so badly. And I had to learn how to keep it simple, sweetheart. That's great. Ron, thank you very, very much. I really, really appreciate it. Yay, Ron. <laughs> Blowing kisses. I realize, Ron, you actually were one of my speakers at my retreat last year. I think you kicked off for us last year, too. So, so thank you. Thank you. It was really, really a pleasure. Thanks for sharing your ash with us. Really, really. Thank you very much. And you guys, we have attached Ron's uh, tips. Again, as I told you, he, this, you, as you can hear, he's got a, a world of recovery. He's very actively involved in a couple of programs. So we've attached that in the chat. So he's got a great two-page document. He called it down for us. So, um, so you've got that there. Um, our wonderful tech host, Mark, has attached the Google document, the sponsorship document. So if you are a sponsor, please put your name and number on there. And we're going to get started with Nikki in about 30 seconds. And um, send those questions. If you've got questions for the speaker, go ahead and just send them just to me so we can keep the other tech hosts so they don't have to uh, be threading through those as well. And then I can get those, those questions to our wonderful timer and uh, question askers. Uh, Sandy, who volunteered to do that all morning. Thanks, Sandy, for your great service. So again, Ron, thank you very, very much. We are so, so glad to have you in program. You, you're, you're, just, you're just a light. I love you and I adore you, my friend. I look forward to seeing you at the Valley meeting when we get back to live meetings. Okay, guys, so this is very exciting. Our next speaker, she's a new friend of mine. Her name is Nikki. I always describe it as the London meeting because I used to, when I spent an extensive time in England, I used to love to go to meetings in London. So when everything was going on with Zoom, I started exploring other meetings and hope you're doing that as well. You get to go to meetings all over the world. But um, Nikki is one of, uh, she runs this incredible meeting and they always remind me, well, it's not in London, it's just outside London, but uh, she's a great, great example. She's got 31 years of abstinence. Uh, you're in for a real treat. Her name is Nikki. And uh, yeah, she's on the meeting for us. It's eight. It's uh, it's in the evening their time. So she's here to share for us in the morning. Glad, glad, glad you could be here, Nikki. Thank you, thank you for being here, my friend. Take it away. Okay, sorry, I didn't think I could unmute myself. I'm so sorry, I'm doing like charades, apologies. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, my name's Nikki and I'm a compulsive overeater and it is so nice to be here. Terrifying, but really nice. Um, I'd like to say a big thank you to Ron. I got so much from his share, it was just inspiring. Um, and also apologies to those people if I distract you by my crocheting. I've got um, 
an eye condition where my eyes try and close and sometimes crocheting kind of helps them stay open but I do apologize if I distracted anyone. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I Eating was a problem for me from a very early age. I felt very fat at the age of 11, although I was skinny and I used to hold bits of flesh and think I was really fat. And I went into a binge starve kind of circle um, that went to bulimia for a year, but was met and over exercising, but was mainly the binge starve, binge starve. Um, and it was horrendous and I hated myself and I didn't know how I could get out of it. I just, just I was in despair, complete despair. I was very lucky because my father um, was in Alcoholics Anonymous and he told me about Overeaters Anonymous when I was 19. And I thought, how embarrassing, I can't go, I'm 19 years old, I can't go somewhere called Overeaters Anonymous. And so it took me nine months to get desperate enough to go to my first meeting. And I went, I went to my first meeting in my still sponsor's little, little blue mini. She was a friend of my dad's and it was pouring with rain as it does a lot here. Um, went in the little mini and my first meeting. And what I got in that first meeting, which was incredibly powerful, was hope. Um, and I was a student at the time. I was at university and I was drinking like a fish. And whilst that hope kept my head above water. I spent the next few years using OA as my life raft. So instead of jumping in the middle of the boat and rowing, I kind of clambered on occasionally, took a few deep breaths, rowed for a bit and then slid back into the water. So um, I kind of, which was a very painful path to take, I have to say, when, when you've tasted, excuse the expression, abstinence, and then you lose it, it is horrendous. And it's like, it's like re-drowning and re-drowning and re-drowning. So I did that for a few very painful years while I was dabbling in my other addictions until finally I put the drink down and I put the food down well, I put the drink down and then I threw myself into meetings. I became willing. I became willing not to just grab hold of the life raft when I was sinking, but I became willing to get on the life raft and to start rowing. And things started changing. Um, I um, got myself a sponsor and um, it was interesting because she said to me at the time to phone in my food daily. And oh my goodness, I was so resist resistant, but I knew I had to do everything she suggested. And in those days, they didn't have mobiles. You couldn't text, you couldn't cheat. You couldn't, you had to get, pick up a landline and call. Um, so, and she also said to me, call at your most vulnerable time when the food is really right in front of you, which for me was the moment I walked in from work. I was lucky at the time because I was living with my mum Oh, my parents and um, so I would walk in from work the phone was right by the door I would pick up the phone and I would phone her I didn't want to do it I was very resistant but I was desperate for recovery I did not want to go back to that horrendous overeating so I picked up the phone and I shared with her about my food and you know what it did is it kept me honest because um, 
throughout the day, if I thought, oh, I will have that extra bit or that extra whatever, I would think to myself, well, if you do, you're going to have to share that with her when you pick up the phone. And that worked for me. And please know that I'm only talking for me and what works for me. And what I love about this programme is different people work it in so many different ways. There's not a one size fits all. There's just different things that we all seem to do that help us. And that really helped me at the beginning. I don't do that now, but at the beginning, it was really important. She also suggested that I put down sugar, refined sugar one day at a time, because that was my real trigger. And that was what made me want more and more and more. And I felt such grief. I thought, not my sugar. It felt like my life would be bleak without sugar, which is really bizarre because sugar gave me so much pain and it, it didn't enjoy it. I just stuffed it down and hated myself. So who knows why? But anyway, she suggested I put down the sugar one and she, and she said, Nikki, do it for one day. And I thought, oh, I'd heard one day at a time, but suddenly it clicked, something clicked. And I thought, all I have to do is get through today and not have the sugar. And I thought I can do that for one day. So I did it for one day and I did it for the next day. And it's been 31 years now, one day at a time. And that shows to me how powerful one day at a time is. She said to me, you need to create your own support group because I won't always be there. You know, when you phone me, I might be, you know, out with friends or I might be asleep or whatever. So she said, start reaching out to people. Don't wait till they reach out to you. Start taking action, reach out to other people. Because I'd be like, well, no one's phoned me. And she'd be like, well, reach out, phone them. So at the time I was, li I was living in this, um, I was living in a shared house by the time, you know, it, it, with, by the time that I started doing reach out calls and things. And I did some at home, but then I moved into a, into a shared house and they only had one landline and there wasn't much privacy. So I used to, pull the cord of the landline into the coat cupboard and I used to sit in the coat cupboard and make my OA calls and it was brilliant because it really it connected me with other people I called people they called me I supported them they supported me and it was amazing it really helped with my with my recovery um, and it meant that when I had a moment where I was in tears or I was in desperation I felt I could pick up the phone to them because I'd start building relationship with them. Whereas before when I was in crisis, I, 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 I felt embarrassed about calling someone. Meetings are really important to me. Um, I, after being around about six months, so the, the, the meetings nearest to me were like 45 minutes to an hour away. There weren't that many meetings around then. Um, there were some in London and on the outskirts of London. So I started getting myself to meetings by train, scrounging lifts, because I didn't drive. Whatever way I could get to meetings, I got to meetings and they were absolutely essential for me and still are. I love meetings. It, it gives me that connection and identification and I always hear things that I can take away with me. And it also reminds me of why I'm here. Um, and um, my sponsor said to me, try and do, you know, she recommended the just for today card because I was in a real panic and I was anxious and I'd put down the food, but all the feelings were coming up. And she said, you know, the just for today card is really powerful. So I started every day trying to do everything on the just for today card every day. <laughs> And it did focus my mind, but it also exhausted me. And she said, well, maybe start with one or two. 
start with doing one or two things on the Just For Today card, which again was really, really useful for me. And someone described it as a kind of daytight container. I had my day in one, you know, a daytight container. So all I had to think about was getting through that one day and how to, how to kind of survive it. Um, what also helped me with my abstinence was I used to be a kind of one more spoonful, one more spoonful, one more of this, one more of that, one more packet of this, one more. So I'd never go, oh, look, I'm just going to eat all this and put it all out in front of me, but I would be an adding person. So what I did when I first became abstinent, I mean, I was lucky when I lived at home because mum used to put all my food for my dinner on my tray, on a tray. And there was a, a meal, my plate with my dinner in on it, and then a fruit and yogurt or whatever I was having for pudding. And that would be all I would eat. That would be my meal type container. And that really helped me because I didn't have to think about putting one more spoon and one more spoon. It was all there on my tray. Um, and I think another thing that really helped me when I came in that, that, that my sponsor suggested was I carried around the leaflet, which is before you take that first compulsive bite, remember. And that was really powerful because I kept it in my pocket. And if ever I felt a craving, I used to go into work, in, into the toilets at work and read it madly. And then it just reminded me about why I didn't want to pick up the drink. And someone said to me as well that nothing tastes nicer than abstinence feels. And that was like a real mantra for me. Whenever I got a craving for food and sugar, whatever it was, which I did at the beginning a lot, um, I kept chanting that to myself. My sponsor taught me about boundaries because I was a say yes to everything kind of person. And I used to get myself in horrendous problems because I would say yes to everything and then, you know, panic. Um, and so I had to learn how to say no. And so what she said to me was, when someone asks you something, if you want to go out somewhere, what you do is you say to them, thank you for asking me, I will get back to you. Now that as a people pleaser was terrifying enough. And then she said, right, then you pick up the phone to me and you talk through and you decide if you want to go out with them. And I'm like, oh, I mean, I've got a choice. I can actually decide whether or not I want to do something, which was really new to me. And then she would talk me through just to ring up and simply say to them, thank you very much, but I can't make it. And again, that was weird because I'd want to go, oh, I can't make it because and it'd be this huge long winded story of justification, which would be really complicated. So I had to relearn about my boundaries and about it was all right to say no. Um, and I had to get a kind of my sponsor suggested a kind of daily routine. So I would do my little reading in my, re in my daily reader. I would do my prayers um, and I would do my writing. Um, and like, like sort of Ron mentioned, I would, I would do my writing. So really looking at a bit of a brain dump of my day, but I would look, I would do a gratitude list um, and I would also look at my fears. And what I learned to do with my fears was I would look and go, is there anything I can do about this particular fear? And if there was, I would talk to my sponsor to get the courage, to take some action. And if it wasn't, I would really ask my higher power. I'd actually put a big word like God, a big G and then OD. And in the G would be all the things that I was powerless over that I had to hand to my, to my higher power. And that was also really, really helpful for me. And my sponsor has said out to me before, very gently, but 
you get out of this program what you put in and I think she described it to me a bit like um, she said that as a sponsor she was the map reader and as a sponsee I drove the car and if as a sponsee I didn't turn on the engine and I didn't fill up with petrol and I didn't um, service the car and I didn't put it into gear and I didn't do any of the action then her job as a map reader was useless because we wouldn't we wouldn't be going anywhere and so that was really useful and that really made sense to me um, and I think as well being a kind of compulsive person I wanted I wanted 20 years recovery in one day and I was so desperate to get it all right perfectionism and what my sponsor always said to me is one baby step at a time one tiny chunk at a time you just do the next chunk the ne next five minutes if it's too much and the next just keep taking the next right action um, and I also learned that all the craving of food wasn't a food shaped gap it was a higher power and program shaped gap and it took time to fill it with something new you know because I'd, I'd filled it with food for so long. And that's why I love this program being a spiritual, emotional and physical program that there are lots of different ways I can fill myself and it doesn't have to be with the food anymore. Um, my sponsor is absolutely lovely. They, she's such a sweet lady. Even pe when you go to the checkout with her, people say, oh, you've got a lovely aura. I mean, she is just absolutely lovely and people want to put her in, in their pocket and take her home with them. I mean, she's absolutely absolute sweetheart she really is um but my dad described used to describe her as the um the iron fist in the velvet glove so my sponsor is the most loving affirming wonderful person but she also tells me what I need to hear and what I don't want to hear you know so sometimes I have a choice sometimes if a difficult thing has happened I can phone my mum and she goes, oh, that's really difficult for you, for you, darling. And she gives me loads of sympathy. Or I can choose my sponsor and phone her. And she says, that sounds really difficult. Um, let me suggest some action. So it's, you know, I've got a choice now. I can live in the solution and call my sponsor. Or I can call my mum and get some sympathy. And sometimes I do call my mum. But in the end, I call my sponsor because I want to live in the solution, you know. Um, and, and, and like, I think very much like Ron said, I have to act my way into good thinking. Um, it, it's almost like my sponsor loved me back to life, but she didn't kill me with kindness. And I really love that. Um, and just she but she's very gentle. She's and she says to me, because I can I when I came in, I had a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. And um, and she said to me, and, and I can feel shameful about what I feel sometimes and or what I think. And she says, you're completely powerless, Nikki, about what you feel and what you think. But it's what you do about it. You know, you can act on those feelings, not react to them. And, you know, for example, my younger, my, my twin brother, he used to say to me that I had no filter between my brain and my mouth and that it would just come straight out of my, which it did. I had no filter. And what this program has given me is a filter. It's given me a filter so that I, most of the time I engage my brain before I think. And um, my sponsor always says to me, what's the, what's the next loving thing to do? Um, <clears throat> I, um, I love the fact that everyone is different in this program. And I have the real 
joy of sponsoring a few quite a few people and I I love them all in their various various different ways and I think like Ron was sharing I've I've learned to listen and before I didn't listen because I was so busy thinking about what I was going to say next and listening is something that's given me so much and I have learned that I can share my experience strength and hope I can give a suggestion but then I'm powerless about what happens next and I can just be there for my sponsees and that is I, I love the fact that they trust me to share with me their, their innermost feelings and I um, I love the fact that by having experience in a way I can help them on their journey and that something horrendous that I went through can be turned into something positive that I can pass on to someone else um, now my higher power oh my goodness I had no faith at all um, my brother was very religious I found it quite irritating at the time when I was younger um, I thought it was weak a weak weakness that's just me at the time but then when I got really scared at night, I had a little Bible I put under my pillow. Um, and also when my brother was really calm and I used to be ranting and raving as a teenager at him and he had this calmness. Um, and my first higher power, as I said, when I came in was hope. And what's happened over the time I've been in is that hope has changed and grown into something that is so important and special to me. I can't really describe it or put into words, but my, my sponsor always calls them God incidences, that things happen. When I ask my higher power for help, things change. When I say the serenity prayer, things change. And I remember um, my son has got quite a lot of disabilities and difficulties. And at one time, it was a very, very difficult when he was growing up and very upsetting. And I remember I, I was saying to God, please show me how to trust you with my son. I was trusting my God with lots of things, but I said, please show me how to trust you with my son. And a few little coincidences happened. And I thought, yeah, that's okay, but that's not quite enough. Show me more, show me God, show me. Anyway, I was with, um, I was with my son's pediatrician, his, his, his doctor, his specialist doctor. And I was said to him, I'm finding things really difficult. And he said, I've got just a solution for you. I'm like, oh, good. I like solutions. Show me a solution. I like it. Black and white. It's nice. Anyway, and he, he had a little post-it note and he was writing on this post-it note, which I still have all these years on. And he passed it to me and it said on it, let go, let God. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> Don't think I'll ask him again. He might appear in front of me. I mean, very few doctors write a prescription which says, let go, let God. So I was like, okay, oh, I got the message, you know, and it was amazing. And the, you know, the other thing about my higher power is when my son, um, we thought he had cancer. He, it did, it turns out it was scoliosis, but it was really complicated with his conditions. And I went through and he, he did have tumours on his lungs and stuff. So I went through a very bleak period where I lost faith in my higher power. And what happened when I lost faith in my higher power is that fear came in and I started relying on myself again. And it was a very, very 
bleak eight months because I could not bring myself to trust my higher power. I thought if you, if my son has tumors on his lungs and he's got this horrible condition, how can I trust you? How can I trust you with him? How can I trust you with anything? And I was like, did you cause it? Didn't you cause it? Could you have stopped it? Loads of questioning, part of the grief. Anyway, what happened was after eight months, I was on my knees because I'd lost my faith and I was back trusting me. And that was just so terrifying, trying to trust me, but I didn't trust my higher power. And oh, the world was so uncertain. And so I got down on my knees and I said to God, I don't know if you caused it or you could have stopped it. I don't know the reasoning. I don't know anything. All I know is that I cannot get through it without you. And my faith came back. It was extraordinary and it's never left me again. And I'm just so grateful for that. I sort of see faith. So I see faith and self-will, they sort of counter, they're opposites for me. And I see sometimes I'm standing on this bit of jigsaw in this big jigsaw of life. And I'm standing on my little big jig, bit of jigsaw and I can see the little pieces of jigsaw all around me. Um, and I think sometimes that I've got this next piece of jigsaw in my life and I know absolutely it's meant to fit just to the right of me because that's where I want to go. That's where it needs to fit. And sometimes with my self-will, I'm spending so long trying to shove it into this, this, this piece of jigsaw, my next piece of life into the right-hand side because I want that to happen. I want that job or that house or whatever it is that I don't realize it. If I look slightly to the left, and I trust my higher power, it fits in neatly into another square, but I'm so busy staring at the closed door. I'm not willing to look around to where something else may be open to me because my higher power sees the whole jigsaw and I can only see the little bits. So I can't understand why my bit would go in there and not there. So that it's for me, it's learning to trust. Um, I think what my sponsor described to me this situation once where she said that um, a man was drowning in the sea and he said he'd been told to trust God. So a helicopter came over and the helicopter said, do you want some help? I can I can pull you up. And the, the man said, no, no, I'm waiting for God. And then a boat came along and said, look, do you want some help? He said, no, 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 I'm waiting for God. And then a plane came over and, and, and said, can I help you? And he said, no, no, I'm waiting for God. And then he drowned. And then he went to God and said, why did I drown? Why didn't you know, why didn't you save me? And God said, well, I sent a plane. I sent a boat and I sent a helicopter. And all you had to do was reach out, you know. And for me, that's that that's been that's such a it was a really interesting way that that, that was described. Um, the steps of recovery have been really, really important to me because I came in full of, I had no confidence. I hated myself. I had no self-esteem. I didn't know how to do life. I thought people didn't like me. I was paranoid. Um, I, I was, I was in, I was, I was not sane lady and I was not as I was all over the place. I was up and down. I had no balance. Um, <clears throat> and what the steps did was they have leveled me out. I've got to know Nikki. I no longer have to be this chameleon pretending to be something I'm not. 
what you see is much more what you get because I've I've got in touch with me I now know much more who I am I know I like red not blue whereas before if all of you had liked blue I'd have said I like blue as well because I didn't know who I was um and it's a bit like someone says that if you if a horse thief comes into recovery and puts down the food, you then got to deal with the horse thief bit. And it's a bit like me, I had to deal with the madness. I put down the food and I had to deal with all the insecurities and the madness. Um, and it's been such a journey. And I think what it's done is it's given me the freedom to explore areas of me that I didn't have the confidence to and to do it one baby step at a time. You know, they say in in, 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 in a way, it's given me the confidence to follow my dream, dreams. When I was younger, I wanted to write a book and I used to stroke book covers because I, I, um, I wanted to be an author, but I never wrote a book. So how I thought I was going to be an author, I have no idea. And what this, what this in recovery, what it's done, it's given me the strength and the courage and the commitment and the confidence to do it a bit at a time. So I went on a writing course and then I started writing a few chapters and then I wrote my first book, which wasn't published. And then I wrote my second book, which wasn't published. And then after my, on my fourth book, I self-published. Yes. Five minutes, please. Five minutes, thank you. I self-published on Amazon and it was the most amazing feeling. And it took me two years and it took me a tiny steps at a time before OA, I would start something, I'd be bad at it because I didn't know how to practice and then I would give up. And what this programme's taught me is just to carry on doing it one, one baby step at a time. Um, and the gifts of recovery, you know, I used to be, it's a, it's a brilliant day, it's a horrible day. It's a, it's, horrible out it was always dramatic I never had the degrees in between and rather than black and white I live I would like to say I live in shades of grey but that seems a little bit grey so I like to think that I'm now I live on the the the, the colours of the rainbow I, I I can have a day that's really good with little bad bits in it and I can have a day that's really bad with little good bits in it um I don't have groundhog anymore groundhog day anymore I don't wake up in a food fog, hating myself for binging and then start eating and binge throughout the day anymore. You know, I go to the cupboard now and all my clothes fit me. That is a huge gift. Um, my relationships have healed. You know, I'm, I'm a daughter to my mum and I do lovely things with her. I'm not someone who steals the food my brother's pat lunch box and then lies about it I'm not someone who has has a tantrum because none of my clothes fit and I can't go out for the evening if I say I'm going to do something I'll do it if not I'll call you and let you know I won't let you down at the last moment um, and just to finish off anyone out there who's new or struggling I know one of my friends says she says keep coming until the miracle happens you know, and that's been my experience. I, I slipped and slid around for two and a half odd years. And now last week, last on Monday, I was 31 years abstinent. So this programme absolutely works. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Okay. Um, for the first question, how many four steps have you done, please? 
Oh, quite a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure whether it's a sort of a, 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 a mini fourth step or a large step 10, but I've done quite a lot over the years because I find that whilst I do do a step 10, sometimes one area is really difficult and becomes quite difficult. So I need to do something bigger on it. I need to do quite a quite an in-depth, in-depth kind of uh, look at my resentments or look at what's going on in my life and they always are so helpful to help me move on. Thank you. Um, do you only give your fourth step to sponsors? Have you ever given one to someone other than a sponsor? I mostly give it to my sponsor but there have been periods and my sponsor has been in hospital so I have been able to share with really close fellowship friends um, where my sponsor isn't around and I find that's it, once I trust someone that works as well for me. Thank you. Um, can you talk about the binge starve cycle? Yes of course Please. so yes what I used to do so I would so for example when I was at university I would go to the co-op and I would get this massive bag of food and I would sit and I would stuff it into my face, tears crying, you know, pouring down my face. And that might last for days or weeks. And then I would be so desperate because I'd put on so much weight. I would stop eating and I would go on a very, very, very strict diet. So it'd be like 200 calories a day or whatever. And I would starve myself practically for days and days and days and days and days. But then once I picked up that bit of yummy food, it would trigger me binging again. So I tended to be much more of a binger than a starver, but I would starve and over-exercise to try and get rid of the excess weight that I had put on when I was binging. Thank you. Here's a similar question. Do you still overeat sometimes? No, I don't overeat. Sometimes I can eat an, a little bit of, you know, a little bit extra, but I, well, I, don't, I don't binge, I don't starve, I don't throw up. Do I occasionally have an extra bite? Yes, I do. But I, I, I don't, it doesn't trigger a binge. And I don't want to be so rigid with myself that I don't have an extra thing here and there. So for me, in the early days, an extra bite would have triggered a binge. Whereas now an extra bit is something I don't worry about because I don't binge and I don't starve and I don't throw up. And my weight stays, stays within the average range. So yeah. Could you please talk about your relationship with your brother now and how has that changed and your other siblings? Oh, that's a lovely question. Yes, we used to argue a lot and there was a lot of resentment between us and I was very selfish and self-centered. Um, making amends with both my brothers, I've got a twin brother and a younger brother was incredibly moving and cathartic. And actually my youngest brother who I had the, probably the worst relationship with, um, it took me eight years, I don't recommend that, of, to get the courage up to make amends to him. And it was the most moving thing because he said to me, you're not like that anymore, Nikki, and I love you. And he's never told me he loved me before and since, and it was the most moving thing. And actually for his 50th birthday, all he wanted was for me and my two brother, my other brother, to spend a weekend away on holiday with him. So it mends relationships, miracle. Thank you. How do you set boundaries with sponsees? Okay, so um, 
I'm just honest with them about how much time I've got really. So, I mean, some sponsors, I've got a new little sponsor here who I absolutely adore and she, she, she needs quite a lot of my time at the moment and I've got my, the time to give her at the moment. So that's, that works really well, but she's really respectful. I, I, you know, I can give her, I'll give her say I can free on Friday, Saturday, Sunday for the, between these times. Um, and I also limit by about 45 minutes into a conversation, I'm, I'm, I, I, I lose my concentration because I've got chronic fatigue. So I'm, I'm, I'm able to say, look, I can speak, but probably after half an hour, 45 minutes, if, if you need that long, that's, that, that, that's enough for me. Um, I do try to meet up with my sponsors. Well, I did before coronavirus, you know, at least once every month or couple of months as well, because I like to have that face-to-face -face contact, even with the ones that have been around for years, because it just keeps us both ticking over. But I'm honest, they know, the, they know that if they speak to me, they've got my undivided attention because I do only give them times where I can speak where I'm free. Thank you. You mentioned you talked about trusting God with your son. What other goals have you achieved using the program principles and relying on your higher power? Oh, that's that's also a very interesting question. And what other goals have I achieved? Um, it's difficult because it's impacted every single area of my life. You know, my f in, in in with my with regards to my food and how balanced it is, with regards to self care and being kind to myself with regards to following my dreams and writing a novel. So I think my, my higher power helps me with my fears as well, my daily fears and trying to go into the day without those fears hanging over me. And in fact, when I was doing a walking meditation, I felt like my higher power was saying, I'll do the worrying and you do the living. And that was incredibly powerful for me. And I've been hanging on to that. So whenever I worry, I say, well, that's your, your job, God, and I'm going to do the living. So, yeah, that was helpful. Thank you. How do you define your abstinence? And do okay. you advise? Oh, I'm sorry. It's a two part question. Sorry. <laughs> how do you define your abstinence and how do you advise your sponsees in defining their abstinence? Okay, that's interesting as well. So my abstinence, it used to be three meals a day, nothing in between and no refined sugar. And that was for seven years. And then I had children. And when I had children, my, my blood sugars went all over the place. So I then needed snacks. So my abstinence is no binging, no starving, no throwing up. And I eat a balanced, I beat a balanced diet and I don't have refined sugar. I've also got horrible intolerances. So I avoid those foods, but pretty much I... It's not binging, not starving, not throwing up, and not eating refined sugar. With my sponsees, it varies. So I talk it, I talk it through with them, and really they find their own definition of abstinence, and I kind of guide them or make suggestions. But they're the ones that will come to decide what works for them and what's comfortable with them for them. You know. Can you tell us exactly what you do when you have the obsessive thought to go to the food? and how this helps you pass the hard time. Yeah, um, I, I rarely get that now, but right at the beginning, when, when I got cravings all the time, um, I would get down on my knees. The serenity prayer was huge. I used to say the serenity prayer. Um, my dad always used to say, he was in another fellowship. He used to say, we play the video of the worst time with your addiction. So I used to have in my mind, you know, 
sitting at a toilet throwing up or stuffing myself with food and crying my eyes out or you know shoving food from a bin into my face when I was waitressing so I used to have that in my mind and I also used to have the mantra nothing tastes nicer than absence feels and I used to say that over and over again plus a commitment to abstinence um sorry before you take that first compulsive bite remember I kept that with me and all those things helped me you know I, and I just didn't want to go back I just I couldn't go back I the despair the despair the despair the despair I couldn't go back and I had to keep all those strategies and the most important thing was to pick up the phone to someone or make some contact thank you um what is your definition of a binge for example, is it large restaurant proportions or unplanned snacks? Okay, so for me, yeah, see, and, and for me, and I, I, I'm allowed to have snacks, so I suppose that 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 doesn't count for me. But a binge would be where I could not stop putting stuff in my mouth because that's what it used to be. You know, I used to sit there, and then it'd be one more, 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 and more, more, more. So I suppose it's when I just can't stop eating. Do you sponsor new people through the big book or another source? Yeah, yeah. So I've done it different ways and, and, and I'm very, I'm quite relaxed about it. I kind of tend to go with what my sponsee wants to do. But generally I've been working, the last couple of people I've sponsored right through the steps. So we've used the, um, the OA workbook and worked through the steps that way. But at the same time, I always really like the way that the, the AA Big Book does the resentments about, you know, and I always use that a lot with my inventories about my resentment, what it affects in me, what my part is and where have I been selfish or, and that's really, that's really good for me when I talk, when I, when I do a resentment, a resentment inventory and I, and I pass that on to my sponsees as well. Uh, per Perhaps you could give us an example of like one of your things that you took yeah. through a fourth step in the columns. Yeah. So, for example, um, so I was resentful at my resentful at my ex husband because he kept letting me down with regards to picking up the boys to take them out on a Wednesday. And so I wrote down the resentment. I was resentful at him for for not for being late and for messing me around and the boys around. Um, and it affected my self-esteem, affected how I felt about myself. Um, it affected um, my personal relations with him and it affected my, um, my security. It made me not feel secure about where I was and where I was with the children. My part was that Wednesday suited me really well. So I'd been quite assertive about the Wednesday, come pick them up on a Wednesday. And so I, you know that was really quite selfish of me I hadn't really considered it might not suit him and he's a bit of a people pleaser so I realized and, and I so I wrote that all out and realized that actually my part was that I hadn't really given him a choice I said Wednesday let's do Wednesday so I said some prayers for him to help with the resentment and the next time I saw him I said which day would suit you best to see the boys and he said Thursday's a really good day for me we changed it to a Thursday and he, and he rarely messed them around after that. So that's an example of how it works for me. That's very clear, thank you. How many people do you sponsor and do you require the same thing of all your sponsees? 
Um, I sponsor six people. Um, four, three, two of them have been around. Well, three of them have been around a long, long time. But I still, we still chat and do inventories, and they still, they still need me. Um, and you know, and I like to keep in touch with them. Um, the other three are a bit newer. Um, and I, you know, everyone does it differently. I mean, you know, they do. The ones that have been around longer perhaps won't call me quite as often. They'll check in perhaps once a week. Um, if I hadn't heard from them for a couple of weeks, I will contact them and say, oh, it'd be nice to catch up and see how you're doing. Um, and I would encourage them to contact me once a week at least, even if they've been around a long time, just so I know, you know, how, the, how, the, how they are. Um, but pretty much... You know, when they're newer, I will I will kind of encourage the the, the sponsee to to contact me a little bit more regularly because otherwise I feel like um you know I just I lose track with what's going on in their lives quicker. So yeah, does that does that make sense? Um yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um. Do you call your sponsees if they don't call you? And yeah. have you? Oh, sorry, two parts. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Have you ever fired a sponsee and why? Yes. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I do. I do call them if I haven't heard from them because I feel a bit concerned about them. I mean, I, I don't want to always be to me to be, be me. Wouldn't wouldn't like it if it was always me calling them because, you know, it, it, it's like it's my responsibility to call my sponsor. But if I haven't heard from my or they're going through a tough time, I will. I will call them definitely. And my sponsor does the same with me. I, it's normally my responsibility to call her, but she'll call me if she hasn't heard for a while or if she's concerned. Um, Yes, I have. There's two people that I let go of, maybe three, no, two, two. Um, I let go of it because they, they were very angry and they weren't following any, any of my suggestions. And I don't want people to follow all of them, but they weren't following any for a long, long time. And they became very much, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And I felt like I wasn't helping them. Like they, my, I'm, I share my experience, strength and hope with people to help them with this program. And they weren't finding any of my experience, strength and hope helpful. So in some ways I wasn't really sponsoring them because I wasn't, they weren't getting anything from me. So I, I did have to let them go. And it was a really upsetting, difficult conversation that I had with both of them, but, you know, it meant that I could then move on to sponsees who, who, who wanted what I had and, and, and were finding me helpful. Thank you. On the flip side, have you ever been fired? And how do you deal with your feelings? <laughs> yes, I have been fired. I've been fired twice, <laughs> poetic justice. Um, yes, I, I, I don't always, I don't find it easy when I'm fired. It, it feels really uncomfortable. Um, but I have to respect the fact that, and, and I'm, you know, and, and I'm very much with people, I, you know, I completely understand, you know, that, that not everybody works with everybody and, and what I have may not be what helps you and you need to go and find what works for you. But it, it is always a little bit of a, of, of a, a kick in the, in the heart. I don't like it at all, but, but I appreciate that I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be everyone's cup of tea because we all need different people to, to help us move on. So yeah um do you sponsor both men and women i have sponsored men in the past um i generally stick to women but there was a time when we had a group where there was just no 
there was no men in our group at all and the poor bloke was just struggling so I chatted to my husband about it and my husband had met him and and so it was all okay we kind of kept the boundaries and you know it actually worked quite well for the time I sponsored him um, and then he moved he moved away somewhere and, and, and it all changed but yeah it was nice sponsoring actually but but with boundaries and it was appropriate you know so um how many meetings do you attend a week and do you go to the same meetings every week so i am really i should go to fellowships anonymous really i'm in three different fellowships so i came in and went into aa and oa and then much to my distress, 23 years later, I realized I, 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 I had another addiction of overactivity and, um, and, um, and workaholism. So I needed to go into that program. So I do, I do three meetings a week, but I do one of each and I do the same meetings each week because I really love that kind of home group feeling. And so I get a lot from that. Um, I would love not to have three addictions, but now I've got three addictions. I'm very grateful to have three recoveries. So. And do you have three sponsors? Um, interesting. I have one sponsor for my AA and OA, and I have a co-sponsor for my WA. Because my, my, my OA sponsor is also an AA. And how do you work the steps of multiple programs? Do you do it at the same yeah. time, or do you do one versus... Yeah, so because I, because I came into AA and OA and started working it properly at the same time, I worked the OA and AA steps right through with the same sponsor at the same time. When I went into Workaholics Anonymous um, seven years ago, eight years ago, um, I started with this co-sponsor and I worked straight through the steps of WA, which was amazing. Um, and I tend to now, I share with whatever sponsor is around what emotions are going on because often it's more about the emotions and the actual if it's about workaholism I'll speak to my co-sponsor if it's about my my eating or my drink thoughts which it rarely is I talk to my a sponsor and I talk to all of them about my feelings or both of them so thank you could you please talk about your relationship with your higher power and how that has changed yeah yes of course yeah so when I first came in, it was hope. And I remember, I remember very clearly after my first meeting, I went back to university after my first meeting in St. Albans um, near London. And I was walking along the coast where I was at uni. And it felt like the light had been switched on. It felt like I'd been living in gray and all the colors had been switched on with my hope I got from that meeting. I just couldn't believe that there was a solution for me. And so it was hope initially. And then I started working the program and started, you know, someone said to me, if you, if you want to build up a friendship, you have to spend time with that friend. And someone said to me, if you want to build up a relationship with that higher power, you have to spend time with your higher power. And so I started talking to my higher power and I started looking out for God incidences, coincidences. And I started realizing that by saying the serenity prayer, things started changing in my life. And I started getting this real faith in a higher power. God, higher power, I'm not sure. And someone asked me what it looked like. And I said, it's kind of a mixture of, of Dumbledore and Hagrid because Dumbledore's got all the wisdom and Hagrid has got all the strength and they're both really caring. And I thought, oh, that really works for me. But actually it doesn't really matter. All I know is that there's a strength out there. And when I tap into it and I ask for help, it works. And 
because I'm quite hyperactive, it took me a lot of years to be calm enough to meditate. And I do find that meditating really clicks into my higher power for me, whether it's sitting down and chanting a word or whether it's a walking meditation. As I look out at the beautiful countryside, I find that my strength, you know, my higher power connection just sits right inside of me now, which is which is hugely wonderful. Thank you. When did you start sponsoring, for instance, how long after becoming abstinent and how far along were you in the steps when you started sponsoring? Ah, oh, now I'm trying to think back 31 years. Um, I can't think exactly, but I think it was fairly soon. I think it was only sort of six months or so because after six months, um, of being absent and being in recovery, I set up a meeting in my hometown because there was no meetings anywhere near me. And there were people that came in that needed sponsoring. So I started sponsoring after about, I think it was after about six months. And um, I had worked through, I was definitely past four and five by then. I may have been six and seven, I'm not quite sure, but there was so much need for sponsoring in that new meeting that I just threw myself in and, and started started doing it. How would you suggest to people to find a sponsor? Um, that's that's a good question. I, I think the way that, I mean, the way I found my WA sponsor was because obviously my A sponsor, I was really lucky because she was a friend of my dad's and um, I'd known her since I was 12 and my pigtails. So she was kind of like given to me on a plate. I was very lucky, but my WA sponsor, it was someone who I identified with it was someone who had the recovery I really liked and someone who I felt from hearing her sharing that could really make a difference for me. And I knew that she had been in the programme and got lots of experience and I loved the way she did the programme. So I think it is the attraction and actually having the courage to ask someone. Other people say, you know, put it out there. I need a sponsor who can help me. That's another way of doing it. There are, so, there are quite a few different ways, but for me, I would need a connection with that person. Have you ever changed sponsors and did you, how did you know when you should change a sponsor? Um, no, well, I said I've been with my sponsor all that time. Well, I, I was with my sponsor and then I got overexcited when I came through the doors of AA and chose a different sponsor, even though my, my lovely sponsor who I've been with all these years was actually sponsoring me, but not officially. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't, I, it's funny because I, I I asked this girl to sponsor me who I really admired and but I was so intimidated by her I never spoke to her I never had the courage to speak to her so my lovely person who'd been kind of unofficially sponsoring me all the way all the way along said I think I'm your sponsor dear aren't I and I'm like yes you are so so yes yeah, so I I've been lucky I haven't really changed sponsor all these years apart from getting my new one so I've been very lucky. If you already answered this in your share, um, mm -hmm. what do you do on a daily basis? Oh, on a daily basis, my problem. So I, um, now I'm not saying every day, I wish I could say every day, but I'm not disciplined enough. But most days, most days I do my, um, I do my inventory, my writing about what's gone in my day and what I'm fearful of. And if I need to take any action or if I need to accept some accept something um if I'm resentful I do a little inventory I do a daily reading because that really sort of puts me into recovery headspace I hand my day and my life over to my higher power 
and um, sometimes I do a bit of meditation depending on how willing I am because I always can make time so I can't say it's not time and then throughout the day if I need to say the serenity prayer or pick up the phone for a check-in to my sponsor or friend I do that I often have sponsors calling me and connecting with me um, my husband and I we're both in the program I we do a we do a meditation meeting on a Thursday um, so I, I, I there is always some element of fellowship th run, running throughout my day now because it's so interwoven in my life after 31 years and for our last question mm -hmm. what do you do exactly when you really want to binge or eat something that's not good for you uh, I, I don't get that quite so much now because I know that which foods I just avoid because they're not good for me. But um, I think reaching out, reaching out is the most important thing, you know, committing and reaching out for me and is, is the most important thing. And particularly when I was at the beginning, when that used to happen to me, I used to reach out and talk to someone and just commit not to, you know, and someone says, just don't do it for five, five seconds and don't do it for 10 seconds and don't do it for one minute. So, and then the craving goes, distraction is great. Distraction is great. Actually, um, thank you. Actually, I see we have time for more questions. Um, okay. Do you tell your sponsees what they can and cannot eat and how they need to specifically work their program? No, what I tend to do is, is if they give me their food plan, I can, I can sometimes ask questions and say, you know, things like, do you think that's helpful for you or how do you find that affects you? So I, I more than anything, I try to guide them into thinking about what they're eating, I suppose, more than anything. And I make suggestions. So for example, working the steps with, through the steps with someone, I'll say, you know, do you think, do you th are you going to be able to finish step two, perhaps by two weeks time on that date and then we can get together and share it. So I kind of suggest timelines because I think it's quite good for me to have, you know, have a date sort of head towards. So I'm never prescriptive. I'm always suggestive because, you know, that just works for me. How, um, do you, do you ever tell sponsors or suggest to them what language to use and how they say things? Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. So as in not to be direct, you mean, or I'm not quite sure what that means. Sorry. A lot of people in program come in and they have a, a style that doesn't serve them. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yes. So I can, again, it's very gently guiding and, 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 and I will make suggestions to people and say, had you thought that if you were to say it that way, or had you thought that maybe, you know, that might have offended someone or so I will, I will suggest and guide, but again, I'll never... I, I don't want to ever upset anyone. It, it, I want to, I don't want to, I want to be there to be constructive, but I don't want to upset someone's self-esteem because we're all very fragile when we come in. What fears do you face today? What fears do I face? Mostly their projections, mostly their fear of, you know, coronavirus, for example, their fears of my son's health 
their fears of how he's going to get on in the future. Um, yeah, a lot of them are sometimes, you know, if I've got starting a new job, so it's a bit fearful about my new job. Um, so a lot of it is projecting into the future. The amazing thing is I don't fear about binging and I don't fear about starving and I don't fear about, because I have so much faith now that if I keep coming one day at a time, this program will still work for me. So that is an absolute miracle that I don't have the fear of that. How do you help your sponsees when they're starting to sponsor? Okay, so I, I, they, I will, I will talk through. If they, I will talk through with them what I do, and so say, you know, I will talk through suggestions about the way that I, I sponsor, or I will say if they if they're having an issue they're not quite sure how to resolve with the sponsee they'll talk it through with me and I will again make some suggestions about how I might how I might approach it and that has happened in the past and and I do the same with my sponsors sometimes I'm like oh I'm not quite sure how to handle this have you got any suggestions and I find that really helpful because sometimes my sponsor's got more experience than me so it's really nice to have a little bit of guidance from her sometimes and to remind me of what works for her that I can then pass on down the line I believe you mentioned you started a meeting. Yes. Can you, uh, we have about two minutes. Can you tell yeah. us how you did that? Yeah, so yeah, so I've started a, a few meetings. So I I tend to um, find, make sure there's two or three of us who are keen to start a meeting at the same time. Um, I make sure I get all the details to the intergroup before, and, the, and onto the meeting list before, well before I start it so that it, people know about it um I I booked a hall to find the hall I got literature for the meeting I put together a folder for the secretary um what uh we set up a bank account so we had so all the different service positions between me and the other two people that started them or the other couple of people that started them we allocated little roles and we made sure that all the different bits were in in place before we launched the meeting into the into the open arena and it's been amazing gift what I had to learn was letting go of the control of the meeting to the group conscience and that's been a learning curve for me I'm getting used to it thank you so much for your service and your uh being so genuine thank you very much Sandy I think you're muted, Sheila, if you're speaking. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nikki. Just really delighted that you're here. Really, really appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Oh, how great. What a treat. What a treat. So um, thanks, everybody. We are doing great here. We're doing so wonderful in terms of our schedule. We now have a 15-minute break. I especially want to, uh, I just want to acknowledge, so again, we've had two great speakers, Ron and Nikki, and there are, are a lot of us putting this on. Um, there are people behind the scenes. So first and foremost, I want to acknowledge Mark. You know, one of the, the things when you, when you have a talent in Overeaters, <laughs> when you have a talent in a 12-step program, right, all of a sudden people start tapping you. So Mark has responsibilities doing tech 
uh, Zoom tech at the two biggest meetings in Los Angeles, right? The one on one on Saturday morning and then one on Sunday. And for all I know, he does other meetings, but I know he does those too. And somebody put me in touch with him because I know nothing about the Zoom tech stuff. <laughs> they said, oh, call Mark. And Mark is, is uh, like me, he's going to be on here all day, which is just very, very generous. So thank you so much, Mark. I really appreciate it. And he's just answering questions and he's just brilliant. So thank you, Mark. Sandy was the first person to volunteer for me. Sandy's doing our timing and doing the chat questions. And she had said, yeah, I'll do it for, you know, in the morning. Because I, I, I very naively thought, oh, there's a morning and an afternoon session. I'm going to need like four or five, six people. Sandy said, sure, I'll do it for you in the morning. Every person that I asked afterwards said, oh, would you like to do it morning or afternoon? They said, well, I'm not, I can't do it that much. I could do an hour. I can do it for two. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful whatever people are con contributing. But she was just, she's just very generous with her time too. So thank you, Sandy. I really appreciate it. And Pat was just walking me through this, kept encouraging me and telling me I can do this. I can do this. So there's a lot of people behind the scenes. So I would just invite you, you know, going forward, uh, when these kind of things come up, just jump in and serve, you know, the water is warm, it really is the way to play it. But I'm so grateful for, for everybody who's helping and people are slipping in and slipping out just silently just doing their service. So there's a lot of people putting this together. Thanks so much. I just kind of want to give you a heads up here. And again, we do have a break. So some of you might have run for bathroom breaks and stuff and things like that. But just want to let you know a few things here. So there is a schedule that keeps getting attached. And in that schedule, some of our speakers, not all of them, but some of our, most of our speakers have, have uh, given their email address. So you can be in touch with them via email. I don't know if people are available for sponsorship. I don't know those things. But again, it's on that sponsorship list. So, um, so you can get email addresses if you, you want to be in touch with some of the speakers. This is being recorded, right? We're stopping the recording now on the breaks and things, so you don't have to listen to this stuff. But uh, And we have a lunch after our next speaker between 12.30 and 1.30. Again, this is Pacific time. And again, the recording will stop then. But this is recorded, so you will be able to go back and listen to things. Um, and if you're looking for a sponsor, Mark keeps posting the, the sponsorship document. Now I have had some questions coming through on that. We haven't had a lot of people sign up for that. So you don't necessarily need to be an available sponsor, but if you are a sponsor, I would just invite you to sign on to that list because somebody can call you. And then if they say, can, can you sponsor me? You say, I'm not available, but you might be able to be of service to help and find sponsors. So you know, we can point people toward meetings and things like that. But as it stands now, we only have five or six names on there. And that's, that's uh, creating some anxiety for some people who are looking for sponsors and they're reaching out to me. And I'm just reassuring them that, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're inviting people to sign on to the list. And, you know, always the best way to find a sponsor is in your, your meetings, your home community and things. I've never had good luck at these big events finding sponsors and things. But we do have that list and we you know, would love to have it available. So if you're an available sponsor, I would just uh, encourage you to put your name and your number on that list. And that's all I've got just now. Mark, can you, is there anything you wanna add or any of my other tech people? But Mark, anything you can think of first? I, do. Um, I have gotten some questions that of, from people that are not able to access the list or are not able to see some of the information I put in. That's perfectly fine. Send me a direct question and I will answer it directly to you, uh, as will any of the other uh, tech hosts who are currently working. Uh, so we appreciate uh, there is 
just let us know if there's uh, an issue and we'll either try to answer it for you or get the information to you as best as possible. Uh, the, uh, speaking of which, I just got an, uh, another one. Yes, uh, the list will be posted again, but we're about to go on break. So I will post that list in uh, 10 minutes at 1130 uh, when we're back from break. Uh, so uh, everyone just please enjoy the break. I wanna make sure that everyone can now go and do whatever they need to do before we then have lunch. So uh, that's it. And I'll see everyone in 10 minutes. <laughs>